Well, good morning, friends. We are, I, I don't know that I could be more excited. I, I say that a fair amount. I'm an excitable person, but I get excited about the word of the Lord. I get excited about what he's doing in his church. I'm going to be going on sabbatical in about four weeks. And so I, I had, after the Easter stuff, we've been, we started in Genesis in January, and we've been marching sort of through the Bible as it were. Uh, and then we, we finished with the Gospels and the end of the Gospels, the crucifixion of Christ, his resurrection from the dead, um, marking his payment for us as satisfactory uh, payment uh, to God the Father for us. And so we were there, and I was just thinking, I have four weeks to sort of before sabbatical to kind of preach something. What do, what do you want me to preach, Lord? What, what's stirring my heart? What's kind of in line with where we've been? We've, been, we've gone, gone kind of through the scriptures, converging on Christ. He's been resurrected. Well, where do the scriptures themselves go? They take us here to the only window that we have into what, the early church, filled with the presence of the living God by his Holy Spirit because of what Christ had done and because he was now reigning in heaven, what the early church looked like. And I would say what is a, is a window into what the church ought to look like. Um, and so I'm really kind of calling this series all that G- Jesus continued to do and to preach. And I'll unpack that right now um, through his church, his body. That's us and through the early church. And t- today is... Um, it's just simply a sermon on power for witness. We see it there in Acts 1.8 where Jesus says, um, but you, he's talking to his apostles, but you will receive, he's about to ascend from them. He's been resurrected and he's spent 40 days with them and he says, but you will receive, I'm leaving, but don't worry, you will receive power, verse eight of Acts 1, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So where we find ourselves is that after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days with them, as this text says, with his disciples. He ate with them, he talked with them, he taught them, he revealed himself to them a number of times, and to over 500 at one time. And then he ascended, and he, he does that right here in this text. He, he leaves them bodily, but he doesn't leave them, um, he doesn't leave them, and we'll see, we'll see that in a second. And so where we find ourselves in this text is it's 40 days after his resurrection and in 10 days, chapter two of Acts, two, chapter two of Acts Pentecost comes. And what's Pentecost? It's the Jewish Feast of Weeks and it's when the whole, Jesus sends his very spirit, the spirit that empowered him down in power onto his apostles and they just are thrust out into Jerusalem preaching the gospel and his spirit goes into so many, many, many thousands and his church begins to grow and his kingdom begins to grow. So I just wanna look at um, the beginning, just gonna kind of walk through the text over the next few minutes together. Um, in, it seems like an unassuming beginning, but it's one of my favorite beginnings of any book in the Bible. Let's look at it together, Acts 1-1, verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Again, pretty unassuming, seems like a standard beginning. This is Luke writing. So when he says, In the first book, he's talking about the gospel of Luke, the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then we have John. So Luke wrote the third third gospel, and he wrote it to this man, Theophilus, a Greek, presumably a ruler, possibly believer, and a man of some substance. And he, so he's saying, I've written a Luke 2.0. Luke doesn't end with the resurrection of Christ. Um, It it continues here. And here's here's why it seems an unassuming beginning but it's actually amazing to me at least. 
He says, I wrote about, in that first book in Luke, I wrote about what? What does he say? I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And here's why this is amazing to me. What is he implying that he's going to write about in Luke 2.0? He's implying strongly that what he is about to write to Theophilus is what Jesus continued to do and to teach. Jesus ascends right here to the Father, but through his church, this is Luke's claim, and this is what we see played out in the book of Acts. Acts is, it's called Acts of the Apostles, but it might even more appropriately be called Acts of Jesus Christ, what Jesus continued to do and to teach through his body on earth, the church. Amazing. Um, Acts 13, 47, Paul says this. He says, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He's telling that to some, some people that he's preaching the gospel to. What is he doing there? Why, is that, why am I bringing that up? He's taking from Isaiah 49, which is one about the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesies about 700 years before Jesus. And this, it, it, when God, it's God the Father speaking about his Messiah, his son. I have made you, Jesus, a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What's Paul doing? Paul's appropriating that. And he's saying, that's us. That's us because Jesus is speaking. He's continuing to speak and to work in power, sending us out as he went out with a message of hope, the gospel. Christ lived and died and rose for us through us, his church, his body. That's what Paul's claiming and saying, we fulfill this. We fulfill this. Um, two things that we see over and over again in this book. First is the word, you, you see a lot of stuff, but there are two, as you read through the book of Acts, and we'll pre, I'll just preach through four, four sermons. We'll probably stay toward the beginning of Acts. Who knows where God's gonna lead us? I'm not sure, even next week. But what you'll see as you read through it is that there are two prominent themes. One is the word of God continues to multiply or go forward in power. That's expressed over, and it's like a drumbeat. It's expressed over and over. The word goes forth in power. And secondly, the Holy Spirit filled, just as the Holy Spirit filled Jesus and he spoke, um, it fills his disciples and his growing church. And when the Holy Spirit fills them, they go out into the wider world and proclaim the gospel and heal. They, they speak and do as Jesus did. And here's the thing, as he was continuing to do from heaven at the right hand of God the Father in power. He's doing now through his church. So this is a book about what Jesus, get this, continues to do and to teach. The church is about doing what Jesus is saying and doing in heaven through us, as our head, with all power, at the right hand of God, we, his body, continue his work and his word. Without him, without his word, without his spirit, we have nothing and we are nothing. With his word and spirit, we have everything we need. We don't need fog machines. We don't need skits. We don't need programs. We don't need, we don't need hijinks. We don't need flashy stuff. The church needs two things that it has been given in fullness, in the fullness that Jesus had them, I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna argue, his word and his spirit. So, power for witness, this, yeah. Power for witness, amen, yeah. That's, that's definitely worth clapping about. P okay, powerful witness. 
what it is and why we need it. Number two, how we get it. And number three, get to work. So why it is, what it is, excuse me, and why we need it. Um, If you look at verse two, it says something that I didn't notice until reading through it this week. So Luke talks about what Jesus began to do and to teach and implies something strongly. Jesus is gonna continue to do and teach through his church here in this book. But verse two says, until the day when he was taken up, that's the day he gives us here when he ascends to the Father. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Here's the phrase that caught me that I'd never seen before. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. Why does Luke include that? It seems extraneous. Um, it seems unnecessary. It seems obvious. Why not just as G- when Jesus had given them commands, do this? Why through the Holy Spirit? Why is it accentuated? I want to posit this. It's in line with everything we see in the life of Jesus and that continues out in, in this book, in the book of Acts, is that Jesus, when we look at the Gospels, it becomes very clear and he actually, we don't have to discover it by reading between the lines. He just says it, okay? Well, He says, I only do what I see the Father doing and I only say what I hear the Father saying, but how does that happen? It happens because he did not start his ministry until the Holy Spirit came on him in power in the River Jordan after he was baptized. It was then that he began to walk. He was fully man, purposefully emptying himself of not divinity, but of all the things that he could have held onto as fully God and becoming fully man, finite, limited as a man in that substance. And so he didn't, he, he so, before he was filled with the Spirit in those three years of ministry before he was crucified, he so lived a normal but sinless life that no one that knew him could believe that he was claiming to be the Messiah when he started doing these amazing things. His family came to him and basically tried to take him back kind of take him back home, maybe send him to the crazy house. Because he wasn't turning birds into, he wasn't turning stones into birds. He wasn't doing these amazing things before. He was just living a life as a stonemason, as a carpenter, obeying his parents, growing quietly in his understanding of who he was and his obedience to the Father, growing as a man, growing as a boy, then growing as a man. When the Spirit came on him, that's when he began to proclaim the kingdom of God and do works of power. That's when. And so what, I think what Luke is implying here is that Jesus is, even here, he's, he's saying, all the commands I'm giving you, I'm giving you through the Holy Spirit, just as I spoke and worked, through the Holy Spirit of the living God alone, and waited on him to be endued with power from on high, so will you. You also will be, not be able to speak and to act in power, with courage and boldness, but through the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, After all, what follows? Jesus says, don't move ahead in your own steam and enthusiasm, but what? Verse four, wait for the Father's promise. He doesn't say, okay, I've resurrected, I've breathed on you, you know the truth, you know me, you've eaten with me, you're saved. They were Christians, I wanna argue that in a second. They, I believe they were regenerate, They were his, they were cleansed of sin, they'd spent time with them, but they hadn't yet received what the Father was going to give them, being clothed with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, don't, now that I'm I'm not gonna go up to heaven, knowing what you know, don't just go out 
in your own strength. Just like I waited until the Spirit clothed me from on high, so you as my body need to wait for the promise of the Father. And also, just as a side note that I think is germane, do you notice how full of the Trinity uh, and how the Trinity is working in concert here in these verses? So just to read them again. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, here it is, of the Father, Father God, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He, the Son, is telling us this. It's the promise of the Father who's gonna send what? The Spirit of Christ himself. What's the Spirit of Christ? It's, it's, the, it's the person of Christ himself, his very life in us to empower us to do what he was doing and to proclaim his message. So it's Trinitarian. As we sang about earlier, the Trinity in its very essence is outward facing, okay? The Trinity, the Father is looking at the Son, loving the Son. The Son is receiving that love and looking at the Father and loving him in return. And the effulgence of their love, as it were, is the Spirit. And the effulgence of that love and that creativity is God making all things. And God is such an outward-facing God. See, self-centeredness is the opposite of who God is. We turn in curvatus say, as Augustine said. We curve in on ourselves when we aren't filled with the Spirit, when, we are, when our eyes aren't fixed on Christ, when we're full of, of sin, we're just focused inward on ourselves. God's the opposite. God's focused outward, and he creates all things, and he loves his own persons, and he so loved us that he came to us and gave himself for us and was crucified for us. And so what we see in this early church is that outward-going propulsion that is in the very character of God, the Trinity working through his church to send them out. So he's saying, look, soon you're gonna be, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit because you, John baptized with water for cleansing, but you're gonna be baptized with fire. What does fire do? It does a lot of stuff, but one of the things that it does is it gives power, like gas to an engine. It gives power, in this case, for witness. It also burns away all that's false. Okay, it's also light, which exposes darkness, okay, but it gives power. Um, and so, yes, let me, let's look, let's look at, we've looked at verses one, uh, four and five. Let's look at verse six, which is one of my favorite verses in this little text here. So having said that, so when they had come together, he's about to ascend, he's told them these things. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples had been with Jesus. They saw him crucified. They saw him risen. They spent time with him. They were, he breathed his own breath on them, recreating them as it were. They're his. But look until they, before they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look how not only powerless they are, but in this, in this verse, verse six, look how clueless they still were. They're still saying, okay, fine. Now are you ready, Lord, to, to crush the Romans and to make Israel number one? And can we sit on your right hand and your left hand? They still think that's what he's about. They still don't have understanding because it's the, Baptism of the Holy Spirit fire that not only propels for witness, but gives us understanding. It's encouraging to me. It's both discouraging, how clueless they were, right before, right on the eve of his, right, not on the eve, right as he's about to ascend into a cloud, how 
it's both discouraging, but it's also really encouraging because I can be so clueless. And what the text is encouraging us with is we must wait in prayer and in worship and in begging and in asking, not to be saved. The Holy Spirit saves us as we fix our eyes on Christ. That's a one-time thing, and I'm gonna get into this. But this is something that we receive, the filling of the Holy Spirit for empowering and ministry. Um, that is what we need to be not clueless and to be not um, ineffectual in our ministry. So let me dig into this a little bit. Question, were the apostles, I've touched on it some, and Christ followers, uh, new creations, believers, Christians, we could say, sort of anachronistically, because they aren't called Christians till later, um, before this moment? And I would say, yes. Again, like I preached last week at the Easter sermon, he called them brothers. He had done the work for them. He had paid the, their debt on the cross, and he had risen to new life as God's stamp saying, I accept your payment, and they believed, and they had been with him, and he even breathed on them, signifying, I am God. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm redoing what I did in the garden with Adam and Eve. I'm making a new humanity. It's a new day. I'm going to make everything sad come untrue. That had already happened. These people, this isn't them becoming Christians in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit falls on them. This is them being filled by the Spirit for effective witness. Um, and the Holy Spirit brings this. If you look at how clueless Peter and the others are here in 1.6, and then you fast forward, we'll probably get there, maybe next sermon. If you fast forward in Acts 2, one chapter, and you see Peter standing up and preaching this amazing sermon going throughout the history of Israel and focusing on Christ and saying, you crucified him, but he died for you, so repent and be filled, be cleansed and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Peter's courage and then him and Paul and the others, their words, their miracles in Acts 2 and beyond. Did he, from Acts 1 to Acts 2, did Peter just drum this up? Did he learn more about Jesus? Did he spend time in class? Did he become more Christian? Was it mind over matter? Did he love Jesus more in these next 10 days? Did he mature in his walk in these next 10 days? No. What's the difference? He was filled the Holy Spirit fell on him and the others. He was filled with the Holy Ghost for effective ministry. Um, to be clear, I'm contending, uh, and I have Dr. Uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones and others with me here, um, Joy Unspeakable, I think it's in the back, um, and it's a great book. I don't agree with everything he says, but I think he's right here. I'm contending, to be clear, that the Holy Spirit baptism uh, and, the signing in the whole, and the signing and sealing of the Holy Spirit for our salvation are two distinct, though not separate, two distinct things, two distinct things. Um, you must have the Holy Spirit to be saved through the work, uh, the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to have the Holy Spirit in you to be saved and sealed, okay? But you can be saved and sealed and not be filled with the Holy Spirit to, uh, for effective Christian ministry. I think that's one of the things that Acts shows us here and that this chapter hints at big time. Okay, so what's the difference? Okay, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts chapter two is unmistakable, the place is shaken. They go out. They go out with courage, with understanding, with boldness, such that people are like, people are looking around, going, "How are these uneducated men doing this? How are they speaking these things?" It's like Jesus is here speaking these things. Um, it's unmistakable. When you become a Christian and you're regenerate, sometimes, a lot of times, almost always, it's quiet. An inward transformation has happened, but it takes. It, it, it works itself out over a lifetime. It can be completely invisible on the surface. That's not the case here with this baptism, okay? Um, one is salvific, 
okay? The other is necessary for effective Christian ministry and is available to every Christian. Um, am I talking about a second baptism, a second uh, uh, blessing? Am I talking about you have to speak in tongues? Absolutely not. I'm talking about continual waiting on the Lord and begging him for the filling of his spirit to be Christ's body in the world that we might preach and act as Christ did because we are his body, and that's what we see here. Um, another, another sort of distinction, the Holy Spirit indwelling to salvation is a one-time thing, and it's unlosable. No one shall snatch them out of my hand, okay? I'll never leave you or forsake you. But the Holy Spirit infilling for witness is repeated Partly because we leak. We leak it out and we're leaky vessels. We, uh, we're sinners made saints and we're imperfect and we have to keep going back and getting filled up. So Acts, let me give you two examples. One in Acts and one in the, in the epistles. Acts 4.31, um, it says this. So a few chapters after this. In Acts 2, the spirit falls and they just go out. They're baptized and they're filled and they go out. Acts 4.31, again, and when, they were, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wait a minute, this is the apostles. Were they not saved before? No, of course they were saved. Had they not been filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit to go out and do ministry? Yes, but they needed it again because they needed to get filled up because they were leaky to go out in power. You see Christ over and over again in his life going out for prayer, soaking in prayer with God, uh, worshiping him, connecting with him. Um, and that's what we see here, in a sense. Um, Ephesians 5.18, Paul says this. This is in the epistles in the New Testament. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. And the sense there is, be continually filled, over and over again. That's the sense, simple present. Okay, passive. So, um, it's something God does, who is Paul speaking to here? Who's Paul writing to in this book of Ephesians? Pagans? The unsaved? The unwashed? Those who have not trusted in Christ? No. He's writing to the saints. He starts off the book by addressing it to the saints in Ephesus. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to those who trust in Christ and who are regenerate and filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet he's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not to be saved again, but because you're saved, a normal, normative part of the Christian life that we see that we see once we have the eyes to see it, I think, in the book of Acts, is that we ought to be begging God for what is ours by rights because of the life, death, and resurrection and current reign of Christ. He's at the throne. He's at the seat of power. He needed it for ministry. He waited on the Holy Spirit for ministry. The apostles were told to wait on it for ministry. Who are we to say we can go out in our own power and have the joy, the strength, the courage, the lion words and signs and miracles to go out as Christ did without waiting like he did, like the apostles did. We are give it, being given a blueprint here for effective ministry. Um, I have a friend who was a minister in Israel for a while, and I remember asking him on the phone, how can I pray for you? And he'd been there for a while, long enough to know how needy he was and how inadequate in his own strength. See, a lot of this stuff that I'm preaching on we as Christians think, okay, I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else to ask for. You, no, not at all. I think we're given the opposite picture here. We think we kind of go out and try to do things in our own strength, but we're told to wait on the Lord because he has everything we need. And my friend said, I thought he was gonna give me a spiritual answer. That's kind of what I was waiting for. That's not what he said. He said one word. He said, pray for power. 
What he was saying is what the disciples were told, commanded by Jesus to wait for here. Pray for the Holy Spirit. The infilling, the baptism, the continual filling, the charging as Jesus was given, as the apostles were given, as we must be and need to be given, the charging and the filling of the Holy Spirit for power, for our word and for our witness. Um, in some, Jesus needed the Holy Spirit baptism for effective, ministry, Holy, uh, for effective ministry. He put himself in that place through his emptying. Um, the apostles needed, needed it, and we do too. It may be depressing at first to get, kind of give you a category from Acts, and we'll press into this more in coming weeks, but to give you a category for Acts, when I'm arguing, a lot of this is some, this filling, this continual filling is something we've never, maybe we've received it before. I don't know if we've asked for it before. Some of us haven't. If we've grown up in a conservative church, it might depress us at first. Wait, there's something central to Christian witness in life that I've been doing without. But if you continue to think about it, I hope that it's hopeful and encouraging um, because it, what it suggests is that this is not all there is to the Christian life. Um, this is not as good as it gets. We have a power for witness waiting for us. Um, I remember we had some friends in Charlotte, an old pastor and his wife, and they were spirit-filled believers, and she said, man, um, before we realized this, we ministered for a number of years. And and she said, she got to the point where she said to her husband, "Is is is this all there is? And the answer to her was, and the answer from this text, I think, and from this book is emphatically no. Emphatically no. This is not all there is. Christ is reigning, did what he did and is reigning now that we might minister as he did, continuing to do and to teach as he did, as we see here in the book of Acts. It's not just for the early apostles. It, we, we are part of a network called Acts 29. The continuation of what God was doing in Acts and has been doing for the past 2,000 years, we are only identifying with one thing, the finished work of Jesus Christ. As he reigns now, as our head, we, his body on earth, continue to see his kingdom go forward in his power through the enduing of the Holy Spirit. Saved, yes, but also filled and equipped for witness. So how do we get it? Um, Ever so briefly, how do we get it? Um, I think, in short, we just need to know that we need it, that it's a normal part of Christian witness, um, and to wait for it and to ask for it, both personally in our time with the Lord and corporately together, um, over and over again, to practice the regular rhythms of grace that God affords to us. Coming together and gathering for worship, being with him alone in the prayer closet, in his word, feeding on him, and just asking him, Lord, fill us with your spirit, send your spirit down, baptize us with the Holy Ghost, that we might continue to be your body effectively. We can, you can be a Christian and just be an ineffective Christian. Be timid. I'm not saying you have to be loud. Some people are quiet. Some people are loud. Be timid as a mouse, ashamed of Christ. Ineffective. Ineffective in your life. I've been there so often, friends. This is the difference. This is the difference. Um, again, in 1 verse 8, he says, you will receive power. Notice he doesn't say you will gin up power. You will roll up your sleeves and work for power. No, it's preach, he's preaching the gospel to his apostles and to us all over again. I've done everything necessary. Just wait and ask and beg, and I'm going to send it down. And you'll know that I've gotten there to the right hand of power where the Father is sitting, and that I have the controls of the nerve center of the cosmos. You'll know that I've been vindicated in 
everything that I've done for you? When? When? How will you know? You'll know when I send the promise of the Father. When they received the Holy Spirit, they knew Christ is at the helm of power. No matter, here, this shoots through the book of Acts, and I want this to shoot through your life. No matter what happened to them, no matter what prison they were put in, no matter what they were suffering, no matter what doldrum days they were in the middle of, they knew one thing. Christ, who was crucified, is seated at the right, this is the strong hand, the hand of power of the Father. He shares the throne, and Ephesians 2 tells us we are seated with him. So no matter, no matter what is going on in my life, that's what I know. And that's what you know. That's where you are. And so you win, and I win. And anyone who wants to come to Christ wins because of what he's done. We receive power. We don't gin it up because the work is finished. John 19.30, like I preached on a few Sundays ago, right? Or Friday, Good Friday. It's finished. This waiting is an expression of the way in which we're saved, all by the work of God. It's a receiving. It's passive. But it's active. It's, it's being actively passive. It's begging God. It's pleading with God. It's waiting on him, just as the apostles did, as they were told to do in Acts chapter 2. And you will be my, what does he say? You'll be my witnesses. The word witness here in the Greek is the word mart- martyros. It's the word that we get, guess what? What word do we get from that? Martyr? Doesn't mean martyr. Martyr came from in the English language because these men who, and women, this group is about 120 people. This, um, this group that had been witnesses of Christ in his ministry, death, life, resurrection, life, death, resurrection, and now ascension, they had seen it. They had eaten broiled fish across the table. Peter says this to Cornelius in Acts 10. Can you imagine? With the resurrected Christ. We saw you crucified. We saw the nails in the hands. We saw water and blood come out. We saw you wrapped in linen, packed with 75 pounds of spices. We saw you buried. And then we ate fish with you, resurrected. They were witnesses, but almost all, we believe that 11 of the 12 apostles died, died, were murdered, were executed, were tortured, all, all except John, whom God, they tried to kill John, they just couldn't do it, apparently. So they ended up exiled to a rock island. But all died, martyrs, all died because of their witness for Christ. And so we see that there is a difference between all these men went to their deaths and lived their lives, not just as advocates, I've used this distinction before, and Lloyd-Jones uses it in Joy Unspeakable. Not just arguing a case for Christ, which is good and has its place and we should do, but knowing him, seeing him, having spent time with him, being changed by him, and knowing him and now having his spirit, the very spirit of Christ. He is alive, I know this, because he is in me and he sent me his Holy Spirit. They were witnesses of the risen and living and reigning Christ. There is a difference, friends, between being an advocate and being a witness. And I wanna ask you, Are you a witness for Christ? Do you know he lives? Is his spirit inside of you? Have you asked to be for his spirit to come? Have you believed on Christ and asked for him to come and live inside of you? And are you continually saying to him, because of what you've done, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me for effective ministry? And again, what happens here? 
He says, you'll go out when I fill you, when I send you my spirit, I on the throne, send you on earth, my body, my spirit, and what? You'll just go out from there. The Holy Spirit of the living God, in his triune nature, when he fills us, broken vessels that we are, we go out because he is a God that is outward facing. He is a God that died on a Roman cross like this. You know that many of the signs of Eastern religion are uh, circular, like a snake eating its tail? G.K. Chesterton makes good use of this in some of his writings. Snake eating its tail. It's incurvatus se. It's inward focused. It's all focused on nirvana. It's all focused on everything's an illusion. It's all focused on me doing things to get to God, even if there is a God. Although in most Eastern religions, there's no idea of a personal God. In fact, I don't think there is in any of them. But Christianity, the sign of our faith and what our God has done is radiating outward in four cardinal directions. It's this. It's a God who's open, but only open in one way through one person, the person he sent his very son, God and man, in the second person of the Trinity. And he opens his arms to anyone and everyone egregious sinner, respectable religious person, African, American, male, female, young, old, you come. You come to me. And so this is what the spirit of the living God does. When he comes inside of us, we have that outward radiating courage and witness as well. I need to wrap this up. And so let me be fairly brief in my third point, get to work. But before I do, let me just read a quote to wrap up point two um, from Dr. Again, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, he said, a Welsh preacher who preached in um, London for 50 years in the 20th century, he said this, sort of just to kind of wrap up what I've said. He said, the world outside, the world outside is not gonna pay much attention to all the organized efforts of the Christian church. The one thing she will pay attention to is a body filled with this spirit and rejoicing. This is how Christianity conquered the ancient world. This is how. Christ continuing to do and to preach and to speak through his body. And it's something we wait for. It's something we beg for. It's something we ask for. And it's something that's ours by rights because of what he's done. It's not a special Christian thing. It's normative. Okay? It's normative. So last point and briefly, get to work. Get to work. I love verses 10 through 11. How... Um, it says that, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love it because there's, it's, there's some comedy in here. It's so serious and it, it's, so, it's so intense. It's so profound. It's so important. This is a new world order that's shifting, that's happening. And yet we have this scene where, because it's how it happened, they're just doing this. They saw him go up into a cloud, which by the way, the fact that he goes up into a cloud is not a meteorological comment. You know that? Because this comes out of all the scriptures we've been given. And a God going into a cloud, God associated with a cloud is almost always, maybe always, uh, a way of saying God is in power. He rides in his chariot on the clouds. He comes in judgment on the clouds, he comes to conquer and to rule and to do away with evil and to save his people. God, Jesus going up into a cloud is a way of saying his work is done, he's going to the seat of power and what? He's gonna come back in the same way, in power though. So what are these angels saying to the disciples? The disciples are doing this. 
and they're saying, men of Galilee is a way of saying, hey, country bumpkins. They're from the hills. Hey, country bumpkins. I know it's only been 10 seconds, but seriously, there's only one more type of order in this world history until Christ comes again. And that is, he's gonna come again, just like he went up. So this time, this last time, these last days, that's what Peter gets up and starts preaching in Acts 2, are the age of the spirit where Christ is reigning and he's continuing to do and to teach through his church. That's who we are, that's our message, and that's our mission. We say to people, this is the age where Christ came down, finished his work, went up in power, is seated now, and there's only one more thing that's gonna happen that's gonna change that. It's when he comes again. So now is the time to repent. Now is the time to come to Christ, to be refreshed, to be cleansed, to be filled with his power, and to be his body, to get out there and to preach his word, and to heal, and to do all the things that he did, to touch those who are untouchable, to shine the light in on those who are hiding because of shame and the degradation of their sin, just like Jesus did. He was not afraid to go into the darkest places. He took that darkness inside of him, and now we get to, not because we're great and we can roll up our sleeves or gin it up, but because we will receive power, because his work is finished, because he's seated on high, and that's just a fact. So the short of all this is get to work because of what he's done and because of the fact that he is seated in power. Our job is actually quite simple. It's to wait on him in worship and prayer, to enjoy him, to love each other, and to know that he has everything we need for effective and powerful ministry. And it might not look like fireworks, friends, okay? It might not look like fireworks. It might look like being on your hands and knees and serving and being in some very dark places, being in a jail. But he's with us, and he's never gonna leave us or forsake us, and we don't need those fog machines. We don't need them skits. We have what we need. We have his spirit, and we have his word, and we have him by spirit and by word, and that's enough. It was enough for him it was enough for the early church. It's enough for us. So, hey, to be continued over the next three weeks, that's not like a one and done. This is a, you know, the book of Acts continues, but I'm excited. Let me pray, if you can't tell. All right, Lord, um, I thank you so much for, woo, I thank you so, so much. Good, yeah, I like it. The Lord's moving, um, Lord, you're moving right now. You're, you're, you're moving always, but with your people, when we come to worship and pray and hear from you through your word, you move in a special way. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a regular means of grace that you give to us, and especially after a word like this that was preached, um, you're moving, and we, don't, we dare not miss this opportunity, and so, Lord, I just wanna, and you're, we are your body. It's not paid people, up here, and that's the church. This is your church. Um, and so we just, Lord, I just wanna say that if there's anyone right now, before we feed on Christ and his body and blood, Lord, if there's anyone right now, um, and I'm gonna say this to you, friends, that feels the need to, um, to be filled, 
to be endued with power from on high, to be filled with the Holy Spirit for effective ministry. Um, I just want to pray. That, I just want to ask you right now that if you would just stand, if you would just stand up, um, just rise right where you are. You don't have to come forward or anything like that. I just want to pray over you right now. Um, if you want to be saved, you can go ahead and stand too, but you come talk to me or someone on the prayer team afterwards and we will pray for you that um, the Lord might uh, save you and he will indeed through what Christ has done. But right now, if you, just, if you know the Lord but you need uh, to be filled by him, just as the early, early uh, church was, why don't you stand? Lord, I just wanna pray over these people with my eyes open. I just wanna pray over every single one of these people. You see them, you know them. I wanna pray, Lord God, that right now you would fill them. And if anyone feels a need to go and just lay hands on them, please do that. This is, this is the church. I pray that you would fill these men and women with your Holy Spirit, that you would equip them for ministry in word and deed, just as you did when you were here and just as we see in Acts, that they would receive power and go forth from here into all the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.